Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Antramika Knight, and it is my pleasure to welcome you here to River City. Um, here at River City, as we create space, live in love, practice spiritual formation, and community transformation, we also open each Sunday by reading from the lectionary. And part of reading from the next lectionary is a way for us to connect to the global church. There are churches all across the world in various languages and cultures who are incorporating the lectionary during their service. Um, today's lectionary is from Psalms 126, and it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams of the Negev. Let, I'm sorry, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. If we bow our heads in prayer. Lord, you have done great things in everyone's life in here. Let those things be items we remember that keep us encouraged that we share as testimony. Let us not feel jealousy or resentment when someone shares the great things that you have done for them, but be encouraged that you are a God who is faithful, a God who provides, a God who fathers, a God who loves. We thank you for this Sunday as we continue our Lent journey. Thank you for those who are visiting the River City, and thank you for those who are serving. We love you, Lord. Amen. So as a family, we read the Jesus Storybook Bible, and one of the phrases I love is it says that Jesus has made even death come untrue. And so this morning, we get to celebrate that God has made things new, he is making things new, and he will make all things new. I just want us to sit in that space for a minute because we can really get tied down, especially as we move into prayers of the people. When we think of all the needs, that can bog us down and we can forget that even death has come untrue that God is making all things new. And the power of worship and us being together is to look each other in the eyes and say, I know, but he is making all things new. I need you guys to remind me of that. And I wanna look you in the eyes and remind you of that. So for a second, let's celebrate what God has already done. What has he already made new in our lives? And if you'll just speak it out boldly. I got a new knee. Woohoo! <laughs> all right, I want everyone to get something in their head. And on the count of three, we're all gonna say it together. Something that God has done in you, through you, for you, a blessing from God, okay? Get in your mind. On the count of three. One, two, three. Yes, it's beautiful. So with the posture of gratitude, let's move into prayer.
God, part of our work in the world is co-laboring with you in making all things new. It's not a job that we get to cop out of. It's a, it's a participation in the kingdom that we have the privilege of joining with. So Lord, this morning, as we lift our eyes to you, let us clearly receive the calling that we are co-laborers, that moving in our cities and in our families and at our jobs, in the places we play and we learn and we work and we live, that we have a responsibility to make all things new in the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Will you show us God? Lord, we begin with partnering with you. We thank you for the global church and we pray that you would bring unity a refreshing from your Holy Spirit. We are living in an odd tension between church and culture, and we need your power, your wisdom, your discernment, your language, your love, in order for your word to move forth in this world. Will you do the work that only you can do? We pray for our nation, for all those in authority, that you would give them wisdom and integrity, that they would lead out of a place of humility, that they would seek the common good of all. In our families and in our communities, in Smyrna or wherever we might go and live, Will you move, Jesus? And if you guys will just take a moment and speak out needs in your community that you would like, that you want to see God make new. And for those in this place, who have needs from this local body, who are in a place of trial or darkness or suffering, pain, sickness, discouragement. We wanna lift up our brothers and sisters to you, Jesus. I want you to get the name of someone even in your mind. You don't have to speak it out, but someone you were in community with that you could lift up to the Father and intercede on their behalf. We thank you, God, that we can lift up our eyes to the hills from where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I want you guys to open your eyes. It's a cheesy Sarah moment. I want you to look at someone and tell them he is making all things new. That's right. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. All right. Amen. 
So we've been walking through a season of Lent, and we've been talking about passages that have highlighted either food or the belly or what it's like to be hungry and what we do when we are hungry. A couple of my favorites were when Jesus was taken into the desert after receiving his identification at baptism. Yes, we should be baptized. He's then sent by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil with the word of God. So we find out there's ways you can use the word to harm people. There's ways to use it selfishly. And Jesus is cleansed of that. He understands in the desert season how to hear the voice of God and understand the voice of the enemy, the voice of lies. He's thrown directly into ministry. We also see other passages where we actually read scriptures about our bellies being the devil. And what it meant is our appetites, the things we desire being the devil and being able to label those things that we all have those appetites. Last week we talked about for the children of Israel how they transitioned from 40 years of receiving manna, which was go outside. This was, their, this was how they lived, to trust God. They would go outside, they would gather manna, they would eat it. Like what it's like to be a baby in Christ, where he does so much for you that you really don't have to do much. You're not going to fight with your brothers and sisters because that man is your manna and your man is that manna. So you're just hanging out and having a good time. You are in a wilderness where you have to depend on him. So the gift of those early stages of Christianity is complete and utter dependence on God, right? So they're transitioning into a space where they're now going to have land. This is last week. And they're going to possess the land. And there's an invitation into calling. No longer is it gather the manna. It's you're going to work this land. You have a role to play. It's the development of maturity, Christian maturity. It's not anymore, let's go back to the season of manna. It's I've given you something to possess. Now possess it rightly for me. So he circumcises them. He has a Passover feast for them right before they get in to remind them. You've done this before, and every time you go into possession, you always think it's about you. You always remove me from it. I have to bring you back into the wilderness. So it's a cyclical, it's a cyclical cycle. It's a cyclical cycle of cyclicalness. They just do this. They go in and out of possession because they keep going into things that God is giving them, thinking they don't need God anymore. He got us here to our land. We're good. He got me my wife. I'm good. He got me this job. I'm good. He got me this house. I'm good. I don't need him now. He did the like Uber thing. Like God drives up, drops you off, enjoy your blessing. We don't realize though, as soon as we remove God from anything, it's not ours anymore either. It's taken from us, right? So they're reminded you must keep this covenant with what I've given you as you go into this land, right? As you go into this new land that is bountiful, where the scariest thing in the land is all of the wealth, not the people. God's going to destroy the the people that are trying to destroy them, it's the wealth that he's most scared that they might be tainted by. You might think that you have more than you actually have. You might not want to depend on me anymore. I'm going to read you two passages today that have to do with water, but they also have to do with mainly a space between when God did something awesome and when you're waiting on God to do something. And there's a lot of us already right now in this room. Like if we were to go around, my hopes are, that I could hear from people in this room stories of what God did. This, I always am a little disappointed, not in y'all, but that when we have those spots where Sarah says, what has God made new? And we have one or two people say something. In my heart, my heart breaks a little bit because either we can't recognize the blessings of God or he hasn't done in our mind something, right? But for me, hearing the stories of what God has done is a massive part of what has kept the body of Christ together for as long as it's been together. 
And here's why. So the Israelites here in two passages are in a season where they are beginning to doubt God. They remember when they took him out of slavery, and that was awesome. He parted the waters, and that was awesome. He led them in, but they're getting to a spot now outside of Egypt where I don't know if God is really here. It might actually be better for me to go back to Egypt. And they begin to doubt. But when doubt starts to happen, you have to hear the stories of God. I've wanted in the, in the past six months to be around people maybe that are like me or not like me, that, that have such a strong faith in God, even if it rubs me the wrong way. Somebody that believes so deeply in Jesus that it restores something in me, that it brings back to the surface. I do remember, yeah, I feel like this right now, and this is hard, but I do remember when I was saved out of addiction. I do remember being addicted in rehabilitation, legitimately not able to graduate high school. I do remember that. I didn't do any of that. I need to be reminded by the stories of God, by the people of God. We need that. So my prayer is when we have prayers of the people, there's an eruption of what God's done. There's an eruption of what God's done. Because if we're not talking about what God's done, we think we've done it. And that's sad. Because everybody out there does not think they need God. And we are the people that have God. And what are the stories we're telling them? And it's not just co-labor in that Sarah is God to people. She's not called to save all these people. She's called to lead people to Jesus. Because even if she quenches all their needs, they're still left in want with a deeper hunger. Jesus, our souls are hungry like the woman at the well who walks up to get water, meets Jesus, forgets she's even thirsty and hungry. She's fed at a deeper level. Everyone out there needs to be fed at a deeper level. So just being a people that meets the needs of our community without Jesus is not the gospel. That puts you at the center of the story and me at the center of the story. Jesus has to be at the center. The covenant that Israel had had to be reminded. They even circumcised it. So yes, we're doing circumcisions on Easter. <laughs> Just kidding. Amen. <laughs> yes. Raise your hand if you don't know what circumcision is. Amen, guys. Should have been more laughs if you knew who they were. I'm just going to throw that out there. So, so the Israelites are in and out of possession. And in Isaiah 43, I want to read you this. This is a prophet. So this passage, this is a confusing but great passage. I'll just read it to you. Thus says the Lord. Okay, and there's a pause right there. Thus says the Lord, and then he's saying something that's not the thus says the Lord. Right? Thus says the Lord. Oh, he's the one who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched. Like So thus says the Lord, which Lord? The Lord that, I don't know if you remember, he did this. He split the waters. He absorbed an army so that you could get out. So he's bringing up a memory. And he's saying, I need you to remember. But then he does a really confusing thing. The next verse says this. Remember not those things. <laughs> okay. Remember not those things. And, the only, and this is really one of the only times you hear for people not to remember what God has done. And the only way, and the only reason he's saying not to remember those things is because there's a way in which we can remember wrong where we say things like, well, I've never seen God do that before. That's like people say that's like the famous seven last words of a church that's about to die. We've never done it like that before. That's what, those are the kinds of things that start to be said as you know that the, the body you're a part of will probably not be around much longer. We've never done that that way because they've definitely not done what he's about to do either. 
So he's saying to them, I did that. You need to remember that I'm the one who did that, but I'm reminding you of that thing that I did, not to show you that I'm about to do that again, but that I can do that kind of stuff. It's the whole story at the beginning of the book of Genesis. It's not whether it's seven millennia or seven days. It's, it's can God create something out of nothing? Yes, he can. If you leave Genesis knowing that one thing, you've done good. He can create something out of nothing. And he's the God who does this to a whole army to bring people out of captivity, out of enslavement, to lead them into the promised land. He can extinguish whole armies. But don't remember that because I am doing a new thing. I remember DC Talk when they did that song, about to do a new thing, but they spelled it T-H-A-N-G. Guys, those guys were edgy, so edgy. They were doing a new thing all the time. (laughs) Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? The question is, that's not the question. He's saying to them, I'm doing something new. Remember that. You're not even perceiving it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers and the desert. And here's here's the, the baffling nature of the God that you think you understand so completely that there's no room for questioning. The first mention of water is water as a border. It's water that has to be parted to get through. It's, and for them, this was a part of their identity. Like if for us to go to a body of water, it wouldn't take long to get around it because we're going to find a bridge or a boat or some dude's an Olympic swimmer. He's going to get across. These guys would walk up to a body of water and they would say, well, I guess we got to walk around two years to get to the other side. Water was a barrier. Water kept them from things, right? The second thing is being in a dry place where water now comes in as a source. So the first instance, water's a barrier. The second instance, Water is now the source that brings life. You can actually bring up this quote. I'll read it to you. I hope you have it. God's new thing will spring forth like rivers that water the desert. Water will once again be a source of life rather than a barrier. There will be water to drink, to irrigate fields, and to water livestock. Prophet speaks of a God who will cut a path through the water when it gets in the way of the divine call to freedom and will use water as a pathway through the wilderness of the world toward the new thing that God is yearning for a beloved, if even disobedient, people. So water here, he's doing a new thing with something you think you know. It will now be life to an area. And here's where you need to make sure that you have discernment in the spirit and be a covenant people, which that's loaded. But we think because he led us out of enslavement or Egypt, that all he ever wants to do is lead us out of something. So there's a God who leads us out of something, and rightly so, because we are all enslaved. This is salvation, too. To be led out of Egypt is a picture of what Christ does on the cross for us, to be led out of bondage into freedom. But sometimes he's not freeing you out of a place, he's freeing you into a place. And sometimes he's sending you into something that is dry, not so that you can say, this is stinking dry, I'm dipping out. God is the God who saves and frees. He's sending you first so that you can pray for rain to come to it. He's saving you to something. Such a different thing because whenever it gets difficult, we all want to be freed from it. We all want to transition, right? This is the millennial fall. Also, they bring so much to the table, but if you don't like it, just move on. When God is saying, I'm putting you in places you don't like sometimes because I need you there to be the one that weeps over the land, that will begin to cry that God would do something there. Can you bring up the rest of Isaiah 43? The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches 
For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. And in this scenario, in that land, wild beasts begin. There's, there's a way that God will send his chosen people into something that when he fills it, not only the chosen will begin to cry out to God, I declare your praise, but the wild beasts, those not even apart, will begin to notice and see, oh my gosh, that has to be because of their God, Yahweh, right? Instead of thinking that we need to be freed out of it again, he's asking us to be faithful in it. Faithfulness for you and me will be one of the greatest tests for our Christianity in America. It will be maybe faithfulness, patience, waiting. We do not value those things, right? We do not value those things. So I want to bring up another passage. This is Psalm 26. And this is a very interesting passage. So this community, this is one that I've preached before, so I'm only adding it just because of, of the part at the beginning. But this is a community that knows, knows pain. They've been living in a nightmare. And it's speaking of a nightmare that happened when the Babylonians came in, breached their walls, came over, took all the people, destroyed their city, and brought them into Babylonian captivity. And they would weep, crying out for God to do something. And then all of a sudden, the Persians came in and destroyed the Babylonians and took them out and freed them, freed everyone that was a slave. And so this, as this opens, verses 1 through 3, it's talking about what it felt like when that happened. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Or another way to put it is like, you're, like when this happened, it was almost like a euphoric state. It didn't even seem real. Have you guys ever experienced something where it was like, I, this is happening too fast. It's like almost blurry in my mind. There's too much goodness to even contain within myself. I have to kind of sit down. This is what's happening to them. Then their mouth was filled with laughter and their tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. But there's this strange pause between verse 3 and verse 4 where you have to sit back and say, what's happened? Because this next part is not like this first part. And they're pausing because they're in a ton of anguish, because they're not anymore experiencing what it's like to be freed by the Persians into freedom. They're still out in the wilderness, and they're still longing for God to come back. And they're in a season of waiting, and they're all beginning to doubt God, and they're having questions about, is he even real? Would it be better to be enslaved? Right? Like, Egypt does sound better than a wilderness without God. So Egypt probably is better than a wilderness without God, because without God in a wilderness, there's no manna. You just die quickly. In Egypt, at least you have something to eat, even if you are enslaved. So the only way the wilderness works is for complete dependence on God. So we find ourselves in wildernesses all the time, where we are being asked to depend on God for something different that we can't do, and we always find ourselves in a spot, do we return? Would it just be better to return? then wait on what God has for me. So this is the rest of this passage. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the strings of the Negev. And the streams of the Negev, these are dry beds, southern Jerusalem. They are empty. They are cracked. There is no water. But on certain times of the year, when the rain comes, even just a few inches, the way it's set up, it will flood this area so quickly you need to remove yourself from it because you could be killed. That's how quickly the water can come. So restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. 
He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is where I want to spend just a moment. And I know I'm not going to do this, the kind of devotion my heart wants to. When I read that, my heart gets weepy, just knowing what this means. Just knowing where in our lives we feel like this. In seasons of waiting, there's a picture of someone taking seed that has to work. And if it doesn't work, his whole family line is killed. There's a picture of someone weeping. Imagine weeping, carrying this out to plant it, not knowing if it's going to come back, but still doing the work that has to be done, even if it won't and planting it in the land, and then backing up. And there's a way in this passage that, you know, I'll just read this quote to you, and then maybe I can jump into this a little bit. We are uncomfortable with tears. Impatient with the hard work and the slow process healing requires, whether the healing is physical, spiritual, emotional, or all three, the images evoked here are vivid, and it is worthwhile to dwell with them long enough to understand the depth of the sorrow expressed. There are some lands that we are led to that we are called to weep in. And that is the flood that God is calling that we'll use to fertilize the land. We don't like this. This is true in our own lives. This is true of those who do not mourn. This is true of those who only celebrate in church. This is true of cities who need someone to step in and weep over what's happening. To mourn rightly, to cry about giving so much. This is for the person who has given every bit of themselves. And if God doesn't show up, it will not happen. The floods now are tears. And the tears become the fertilizer that make the ground usable by God. When's the last time you have weeped over a friend? When's the last time you have weeped over something? When's the last time you've posted something on Facebook that you have a strong stance about, but you've not shed a tear about in your personal life? When's the last time your only platform is to people to hear you complain about something you don't like in a society, and you haven't even cried about it at all? That's not even, that's not even true. That's not even the true. You're, you're, you're false in your, your, your posts if that's not happening. It's just for you. He's calling us to weep for those who need to be wept for, He's calling us to weep for what's happening within ourselves. That's the kind of people. So I'm going to leave you with this, and I'm not going to spend much more time. You have to decipher the land that you are in. You have to be able to decipher through the Holy Spirit the land that you are in. If you are in captivity, he does not want you to dwell there. He wants to take you from it. He wants to free you to a land that is even scarier unless it's with God. If you are in a dry land, you are doing everything you can. You feel like you've been obedient to God. You have not seen. You are called to wait and cry and long and label the hurt and label what you want to see. We need water to come in here. You have to decipher the land that you're in because he's not always calling you to move on. If it gets hard, that does not mean that it's time to move on. This is for marriages. 
This is for friendships. This is for family members. This is for jobs. The first time your job doesn't give for you everything that somebody, some prophet told you was going to happen, that's not your sign to move on. Has he called you there for the gospel? Has he called you there to show what it looks like to be patient, to weep when something is wrong? You have to be able to decipher, and you can only decipher in these areas if you are in covenant with Jesus. There's no other way. You can rightly see what you think is right, and you can do it, but we're just like the children beginning to move into the land that was promised, and he's trying to circumcise us again and have Passover with us to remind us, if you're anything other than my people, this will not work. Either you will die or the people you're going to will be harmed. It's impossible. So yes, we are new creations created in Christ Jesus. He is the promised land. Like, that's the beautiful picture of this. In the Old Testament, it's an actual land. Jesus is the land. Jesus is our land. Ephesians is the new promised land. He is our gift that we receive, right? He is the water of life. He is all of these things. And he's continually giving us opportunities, cyclically even, for those of us who have decided, I was following Jesus and it was out of a right heart, but it got to a certain spot where he was asking too much of me. Like he wanted things of me that would help. And I just said no, and I would rather do this on my own. Cyclically, he's never giving up. He's always wooing you back in to say, you're not going to even be able to do this without dependence on me. And if you really are those people who want to see the mighty works of God, you have to be in situations where he has to come through or it won't happen. And you also have to be able to take a step towards something. Just being a part of a body for the rest of your life. Now, that's a beautiful thing. And this is a great community. But this is not the end goal to just say, I'm a mom, I'm a husband, I'm a, a basketball coach, I'm, and I'm also a Christian. It's, that's not how it works. That's not like the five things of my life. It's I'm a Christian who has devoted everything about me to Christ. And all of these other things are secondary. He speaks into all my other identities. I'm not, I'm not a, a Southern Christian or a heterosexual Christian or any of this. I am a Christian, and that informs everything. Everything else is informed by this. So it has to be first, right? If not, then you've decided something is more important than Jesus, and nothing is. Nothing is. He informs every single thing. The things that we think we inform are the things that go awry. And we just wander around in the wilderness waiting for him to show up. So he has to be this source. There's no way to even do this without Jesus as the center. There's no way. There's no way for you to do what he's calling you into without him as the center. And that will be scary. That will look like times where it would look better to go back to Egypt. It would look better to be enslaved again. There are times every week where I'm tempted again for some type of something that would make me feel better. Some type of anything that would make me, that would that would do something to the state of how I feel, any type of drug. My history is any type of, what, what is that called? Substance. That is a, yes, amen. Substance, I mean, there's a reason why people do drugs, right? Right? There are times when it's so hard that it's definitely there. There's a temptation there. I will not go back to Egypt because I would rather not be, in, I'd rather have to depend on manna that's hard and I'd rather have to weep. Why am I waiting in this dry land? and hope that God would come, because here's what's happening in all of the lands. He is going to do something better. 
There's no version of where you're at that doesn't end better. That's not our God. He is always making things new. Will we wait for him to do it or will we do our own thing? Will we build our golden calf and then sing songs to Jesus in the afternoon? That's what they were doing. They built a calf and then they also honored God. Confusing. We're still doing this stuff. Well, you also built a golden calf to worship. I don't know if you noticed that. Will we wait on him or will we do our own thing? And for this church, for our church, he has better in store for us. For our city, he's inviting us. He's going to do something new. It might not be exactly what we've seen. He might reverse it. He might make water from a barrier to a, he might do whatever, he can do whatever he wants. Will we be a people that want and expect that to happen? Will we remember, here's where I put my, like I found this phrase this week and I was like, this is so tweetable. I spent like an hour thinking about it. None of y'all are going to care at all. Will we remember to anticipate? Is, anybody, is that good for anybody? Is that just me? That sounds so good to me. Remember to anticipate. Remember not that I'm going to take you out of Egypt again, but remember that I do that kind of stuff, and I'll do it again, and it'll be better. He's, he's that God that anything I can do, I can do better. That's him. He does this, but yeah, that's great that you freed him from Egypt. You're bringing water into water lands now and making wild animals worship you. What in the world? He's the God that does better than even himself. That's what he wants to do. So there's this awesome, awesome minister. Um, His name is Michael Curry. He actually spoke at the wedding that many of you watched. Many of you females watched. And um, what was the wedding again? The royal wedding? Yeah. I didn't actually watch it. It's kind of a big deal over there. Um, We don't do that here. So, But he has this statement that God has something better for every child, for everyone. Maybe you're better and you're better are two different things, but he has something better for every human being. And it's our job to help them see what that better is and position them with them to live that better. Every single person in your world, he has something better for them. And it might not be even recognizable because it might look like they're dependent on one kind of food, manna, and they had all this there. So his better does look different, but it's better. And for everyone in your life, he has something better. And he's asking me and you to partner with him, figure out what it is and help them live it. Does that not make you happy? That's all of our roles. So every human in your life, the idiot at work, the guy that flicked you off on the way here, the guy that doesn't cheer for the Braves, the guy that doesn't believe what you believe about sexuality or religion or race. God has something better for that person, and it's our job to partner with him to help them see it in the way that the Holy Spirit would do it. That makes me want to run laps, right? That is the call of the ministry to this city. Every person we meet, every person already in your life, he is making all things new. He is making all things new. He is making all things new. We are new creations created in Christ Jesus. We are co-laborers with him, right? This is good news, right? We're not trying to train people to know how to sit in this room. We're trying to show them a, a more free life. Such good news to me. So if you guys would all stand with me, we'll see if this prayer team stuff works. Ooh, <laughs> the cue.
And as they come, I'm just pushing pause for some of you who are in a dry land that God is asking you to be a conduit to speak into that God would water it. Do not flee this land if you know that he's speaking to you in it. And for those of you in slavery, listen, if you have not, if you don't, there's a way to be a Christian in America and show up at church every week and never actually have a relationship with Jesus. There's totally a way to do that. If you do not know him as Lord and Savior, this old school as that sounds for some of you, that's what he wants to be for you. And that is not just something you just kind of bump into and now it's part of your bucket. That's a thing that you do. You say, this is a decision that now trumps all other decisions. Jesus, I need you to be my Lord. That's Jesus. That's what he wants. That's what he is. And so, Father, with your eyes closed or however you want to do it, we pray for this space in this setting right now in this sanctuary to be, we pray for water. Flood these lands. The lands of each person hearing this. Flood the lands, God. The ones that need freed out of bondage into what it is to be a new creation, to be to understand, to catch up to that they are beloved children of God. And that's a gift before you know it. That's even that's there before you even realize it. You're a beloved son and daughter of God. Help them to decipher where they're at and how to move forward. Help them to anticipate that you will make things new. And for anybody who's already thrown in the towel on something God is needing to do or you've been praying for him to do, open it back up. Cry back out. If you need to weep for someone or yourself, weep. It's okay. That's good. Help us to be people who will weep in the lands you've called us to. For those you've called us to, and help us to be people who will flee the lands of bondage. But help us to always be guided by you at the center. Dethrone our idols in our hearts, God. I do pray that you would dethrone the idol of family, dethrone the idol of kids, help them to be rightly placed alongside what you are to us. Dethrone the idol of money and wealth, dethrone the idol of popularity or appearance, dethrone the idol of selfishness and my future is my future and I'm gonna do, I'm gonna conquer this world, dethrone those idols. God, help us to submit to a Jesus that would submit to his father for the sake of all. Help us to anticipate Easter, Jesus, that we would be an Easter people all year long. If you need prayer for anything, please let someone pray with you today. We're going to create a space in here for a few moments to just respond, and then I'll dismiss you in a minute. So, Father, we just thank you for today. We pray that you would go with us, before us, that you would help us to be a people that give all praise to you. That's the goal. Thank you for this body. Thank you for how we can serve and love. We give it all back to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.